0: Good morning, church. Open your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 2. Before we get started, let's pray. Lord, you know we do fear. We know there are some times in our lives when we're not sure you're there. And I ask through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the truth of your word today, that you would confirm again in our hearts you are always there. We're not the only ones who need to hear that or need to experience it. We ask that you please be with the New Gateway Church as uh, they're getting launched, uh, meeting in homes and small groups around uh, uh, Kerrville and also at the Dietert Center. Would you please bless them as they attempt to reach those, some folks that maybe we're not doing so well at reaching. Uh, Maybe um, uh, other churches in our area just haven't connected with very well. And so please, as they launch and as they continue to build a, a foundation of disciples there, would you help them know? That you are here always with them. Thank you so much for being here with us. You promised us that wherever two or three are gathered in your name, you'd be here. So welcome. It's through Christ we praise you, and everyone said. I'd like you to watch this video. Does it feel different to be up there without a rope? It's obviously like much higher consequence. People who know a little bit about climbing, they're like, oh, he's totally safe. And then people who really know exactly what he's doing are freaked out. I've thought about Cap like for years, and every yeah. year I'm like, that's really scary. <laughs> I'll never be content unless I at least put in the effort. El Cap is the most impressive wall on earth. It's 3,200 feet of sheer granite. It's the center of the rock climbing universe. Obviously I get interview questions about it all the time. Oh, would you like to do that? You're like, yes, for sure. So you're a girlfriend now, I heard. It was awesome. <laughs> Pretty much makes life better in every way. It's really hard for me to grasp why he wants this but if he doesn't do this stuff, he'd regret it. Everybody who has made free soloing a big part of their life is dead now. I haven't been injured in like seven years. I suddenly start getting injured all the time. What if something happens? (laughs) What if I don't see him again? I could just walk away, but it's like, I don't want to. I've always been conflicted about shooting a film about free soloing just because it's so dangerous. It's hard to not imagine your friend falling through the frame to his death. I think when he's freaked away this way, he feels most alive, most everything. How can you even think about taking it away from somebody? No mistakes tomorrow. I'm starting to get kind psyched. If you're pushing the edge, eventually you find the edge. I can't believe you guys are actually. Going to watch. Hey, Jimmy, do you copy? Just started climbing. <sighs> Lauren, our oldest daughter, had texted us a couple of movies that were a must see, she said. And at the top of the list was this one Free Solo, which, by the way, is available at Redbox. Please don't leave during the message to go get it. (laughs) She said, Dad, it is a climbing movie that documents one of the most amazing athletic achievements ever. She said, both the climbing sequences and the scenery are just intense. And she was absolutely right. The videography was stunning. And I think it's a movie that the whole family could watch together. Gail tried to watch it with me. For the most part, she did, but she was constantly in motion, getting up to take a break for the intensity of what she was seeing on the screen. At one point, she said, and I quote, As a mother, I just can't watch this. (laughs) She'd get off the couch, and she'd go piddle in the kitchen or the bedroom, and she'd be right back there, though, standing behind the couch, as if that was going to protect her or something. But she couldn't help but not watch it either. Just looking at a picture of El Capitan, I would not want to stand on the top of that half-mile-high piece of rock and just look down, let alone try and climb up the side of a 3,200-foot piece of granite with holes in order to do that as wide as the breadth of a pencil. Even attempting it with ropes, I think, would be out of the question for most of us. Can I go ahead and say this? No, for all of us. But can you imagine no ropes, no safety equipment, nothing but a chalk bag? You'd have to be out of your mind. Or you just have to be Alex Honnold. Um, he wasn't the first to climb Mo Capitan. It was first climbed in 1958 using what is called siege tactics. I'm not much of a climber. But what I read from Wikipedia was this: siege tactics involves climbing a section of the wall, just a section, using safety harnesses and ropes, setting up camp there till the next section could be conquered, which took Warren Harding and Wayne Mary and George Whitmore, listen to me, 47 days to do. Alex Honnold climbed El Capitan wearing nothing but his clothes and a chalk bag and made it to the top no ropes. No safety harnesses in four hours. And I agree with the New York Times, which wrote, Alex Honnold's free solo climb should be celebrated as one of the greatest athletic feats of ever of any kind. And what's amazing to me is that not only somebody did that, But someday, Alex's achievement is going to become ho-hum to any of us who've heard about it. The words surrounding that event, they're not going to take your breath away like it did for some of you this morning. The words won't make your hands clammy like they did mine as I watched them climb. The sight of El Capitan and Alex on it, free soloing, won't stir adrenaline in my body like it did. And that's not bad. And that's not wrong. It just is. It's what happens when we view something or we hear something repeatedly. Yeah, 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 I've seen that. Yeah, 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 yeah I've heard that. Yeah, 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 I, I know that. How do I know that it's going to happen with Alex's free solo? Because it happens most Sundays. Whenever we take the time to remember what Jesus did on his free solo. When we hear crosswords about the most astonishing life accomplishment ever. And we can do it on autopilot. And maybe get a little bored, even, while we're doing it. And you know what, I'm going to say it again, that's not wrong. And it's not bad. Because when you hear about something, no matter how amazing or stunning or riveting, it it just... It gets hard to maintain the same level of, wow, every time you hear it, especially when you hear it over and over and over again. And so that's why I think it helps every now and then for someone to try to help put in perspective the free solo that Jesus pulled off that no one before him or no one after him has been able to do. If you watch the movie Free Solo, you will see one of my favorite camera shots in the entire documentary. It flashed through just a few moments ago. It's one of the cameramen there filming at the base of El Capitan and who, though he trained for this and although he rehearsed this, can't watch his friend attempt this. The danger's too great. <laughs> the price for a failure is just too high. Everything about what's taking place in front of his camera is marked by the idea that nobody's pulled this off before. And maybe... Nobody can, but he's going to try, and he can't look. Now, i got to think the angels who were created by God with limited knowledge and limited perspective had to be looking at a scene just as troubling as what this man was looking at. When Jesus left the base camp of heaven... And left behind, listen to me, the protective gear of his supernatural powers and whatever made him God's equal. And he entered a world he created alone, solo. Yes, surrounded by the Holy Spirit. Yes, supported by his father. But just as this cameraman Alex supported, or just or I don't know his name, just as this cameraman supported Alex and just as maybe his girlfriend Sandy supported Alex, but they're not up there on the wall with him. Supporting him, yes. Surrounding him, yes. But up there on the wall with him, no. You need to understand that's how Jesus came to this earth. Here's what Paul tries to do in Philippians 2 when he writes about it. He says, Jesus did not think that being equal with God was something to be used for his own benefit. So he gave up his place with God. And he made himself what? Nothing. He was born as a man. And he became a servant. And when he was living as a man, he humbled himself and was fully obedient to God, even when that caused his death. A death on a cross. Now I have to believe that had to be hard for the angels. Because no human being, listen to me, No human being had ever attempted life on earth and lived to tell about it. Not even the first man or woman who were created in the purity of God's image. Adam and Eve were the first to fall. But along with them, every other human being fell in our species when we made our debut on earth. No one who had attempted to free solo a life without sin, listen to me, ever made it. Not a person. No one who ever attempted to solo on this globe without sin ever pulled that off. But when we come to this section of the story we know is a cross. And we read the words of these eyewitnesses that recorded and lived out these words with him. Here's what they're saying. As far as we can observe, Jesus was pulling this off. He never sinned. Here's what one writer, the Hebrew writer, is called in chapter 4, verse 15 says For we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in all things just as we are. And yet he soloed, he did it without sin. He made it through pesky brothers and sisters who wore his clothes without asking. He made it through baby sisters who short-sheeted his bed when he wasn't looking and never punched them out and he never cussed them out. He worked alongside his dad who was forever offering more advice than he ever needed to make a table or chairs and ox yokes. He never talked disrespectfully to this man, to his face or to his back. He, never, he navigated his teen years when girls were becoming attractive and some even alluring without ever sinning in his mind or with his body. And if you're thinking, yeah, 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 but he had a spiritual ace in the hole. He had spiritual Kevlar when it came to temptations. Surely, right? Surely he had a leg up on the rest of us humans? And the answer would be, no, he didn't. Now, he did have one exception that we have, he didn't. We came into this world with a little beastliness in us. It wasn't in him. Because when God placed him in Mary's womb, he wasn't born of a man and a woman. He was born of God. And so he had that perfect image that the original Adam and Eve were born with. Untainted by the beastly nature that we inherited. He did have that. But we know from the story that even with an untainted image of God within you, that doesn't make you sin-proof, does it? Because Adam and Eve sinned. And my, how they fell. And every single one of us have fallen with them. Jesus was born with that same image. And yet every time Satan confronted him in his free will, he chose God's way. Adam had that option. He didn't choose it. Jesus did. When given the opportunity to choose anything, he honored God at every turn. He remembered God with every decision. He obeyed God regardless of the request, regardless of the cost, even when it meant being willing to sacrifice himself for people (laughs) who wanted him dead. That just stuns me. It stuns me. Not, not, not all the time, not every week, but this week it stuns me. For 33 years he never lied, never stole, never cursed, never lusted, never envied, never committed sexual sin in his mind or body, never slandered, never disrespected his parents, was never greedy, arrogant, rude, never. Now you talk about a mind-boggling, free solo, I think that one tops them all. And those who walked with him, listen, saw it in action. They were there. They were eyewitnesses of it. And so John wrote down, you know, we know he appeared in order to take away sins, yeah. But I'm telling you, in him there was no sin. Jesus said, well, it's because he who sent me was with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Well, Peter chimed in. He said, you, you need to know, those of you who are Christians, that we were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. That didn't buy you from the feudal way of life you inherited from your fathers. No. You were bought with the precious blood of a lamb that was unblemished and spotless. You were bought with the blood of Christ. Jesus free soloed Earth's biggest challenge. It wasn't El Capitan, it's sin. And I have to believe that during certain sections of the climb down for Jesus, there had to be times when the angels couldn't watch. There's a certain section of El Capitan that Alex was most concerned about when he was making his free solo. There was no section of the climb he had rehearsed more. Sixty to seventy climbs he had made with ropes before this, trying to memorize every single foothold, thousands and thousands of times over, if not on the mountain, in his mind. But this one section called the boulder problem. He said, if I climbed it ten times, I fell nine. He said, if I was going to fall, it would most likely going to be here. Jesus had his own boulder problem. And it was more than just saying it was the cross. I'll try to explain. That would challenge anybody. But there was a section of that climb. There was a section of the cross that would take place that just, it unnerved even the Son of God. The one who made planets with a word. The one who holds everything that goes on with those planets together with who he is. Who set all of that aside. He came here and there was a section of what God was asking him to do that unnerved him. And we're in the Garden of Gethsemane and he makes it, makes it known. It's called the forsaken problem. His wasn't the boulder problem. His really wasn't even the cross problem. It was the forsaken problem that would take place on that part of the climb. Now it would be difficult, he knew. But he was pretty sure he could handle it. Having the most respected leaders in the Jewish faith lie about him. Misrepresent him. Ask for him, a part of their family, to be crucified. He thought he could handle Judas getting up from the Last Supper. As nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. And leaving. And betraying him to those leaders. And later traveling in the dark with plenty of armory. And kissing him on the cheek. He thought he could handle that. He thought he could handle all of his disciples. Leaving him at his most difficult hour. But there was a cup of suffering he could not see himself overcoming. And so in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know this. He asked God, would you please take this from me? I just do not go through this one. And when he opened his eyes from his prayers, the cup of suffering was sitting there in front of him. He wasn't sure how he was going to handle it, but he climbed down towards it anyway. Next came the Roman authorities who knew he was innocent of the trumped-up charges and yet still turned him over, not only to be crucified, but to be scourged 39 times with a whip that was intended not to discipline, but to bring you near death. Not all the way. No, they wanted that to take place on the cross so that you could be shamefully killed. But they wanted to bring you within an inch of your life. Jesus thought he could endure that. So he kept climbing down. When those same men mocked him and called him a king, putting a robe on him and taking a a, a piece of, I don't know, maybe it just was a stick, but, but hit him upside the head with it, hit him in the face with it, and said, here's your scepter, sir, and spat on him. He thought he could, he could probably handle that. And that one just stuns me. That humiliated by these men, this man never retaliated when he could have. Just a word would have changed that moment of shame into a moment of power. And he didn't. He prayed over them. Those are the crosswords we read last week. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. (laughs) Humiliated, he doesn't retaliate. He prays over them. Struggling for breath, he isn't asking for names. He's asking for mercy. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Who dies like that? Who dies like that? The answer is Jesus. And I'm going to put pause here because I'm going to ask this question twice. Do you have a Savior like that? Do you have, excuse me, a mentor like that? Do you have a source of advice and guidance capable of that? Jesus is that kind of a Savior. Somebody says, Well, what you're describing is humanly impossible. And I'm going to say, Probably. Because by this time, what Jesus is doing, he's doing with help. At this point in his life, he has some help that even Adam and Eve didn't have. He had the help of the Holy Spirit, which arrived the day that John baptized him. You remember that. John's out in the wilderness. And he is talking to all all the people that he can get to gather as a crowd who've tried to free Solo from sin in their life and they haven't been successful. And he says, today, if you'll be baptized and you'll repent of those sins that you've tried to live with, if you'll be baptized and repent of those sins, then God will wash them away from your record. And you can have a brand new start, a brand new base camp. And all of a sudden, in the midst of that preaching, in the midst of that baptizing, up walks someone he immediately recognizes for who he is. It's his cousin. But he recognizes that it's the Lamb of God. And he says, certainly you didn't come to be baptized by me. I ought to be baptized by you. And Jesus says, let it be so for the moment. Because I've got a climb to make. And it's right that I do this. And so we baptized him. And immediately, it's almost as if heaven was waiting to exhale. God blurts out, that's my boy! First time that he's talked audibly since he came into this world solo. That's my boy, I'm so proud of him. And then, like the Holy Spirit couldn't wait, rushes on him like a dove. Brings him those supernatural powers that he left behind. Brings him the abilities that he left behind before the climb. Powers to make eyes that were blind see. Powers to make ears that were deaf hear. Powers that would still storms or walk on them. Whatever he wanted to do. Power to drive out demons. Power to even raise the dead. Here, it's all on you again. Now for 30 years, he sold without that power. The last three he had help. At the cross, he had help. To launch the ministry of Jesus, God gave him the Holy Spirit. To give him the credentials, he needed to do miracles that would back up his teaching with some type of evidence that what he said mattered. He gave him the power of the Holy Spirit. To be able to withstand the demands of dying on a cross, I believe he gave him the Holy Spirit. Not because of the pain part, not because of the death part, but for this next part of the climb that I want to call the forsaken part. Isaiah wrote about it years before Jesus actually made this climb. Here's what he said. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. No. He was being pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We, all like sheep, we've gone astray. All of us have fallen. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the part of the climb Jesus was unsure of. Now I don't know the exact moment that it happened. When our sin is placed on His shoulder, when the the sin of not just the old church of Christ, I'm talking about all of humanity, is placed on His shoulders as payment for our sin debt. I I don't know the exact moment when the one who didn't know any sin became sin. I don't know the exact moment when the beauty becomes the beast. But if I had to select a moment, it would have to be when He pulls Himself up, like anyone would have to do if they were being crucified to breathe, pulls Himself up, And all of a sudden, his father is nowhere to be found. And he says with the few words he can even speak at all, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If I had to guess when the world's sin was placed on his shoulders, it was then. And of all the crosswords that must have been hard for heaven to hear, it had to be those. Who would have blamed any angel for covering their eyes for the moment? And I want to say, for me personally, I hate for him that he had to experience that. But I am thrilled he did. And I knew when this part of the message arrived today, you probably would need me to look up the Greek word for forsaken. Because there's a good chance that probably every one of you, no matter how old you are, knows what it's like to be abandoned, knows what it's like to feel isolated, knows what it's like to be left all alone too well. Whether it involved disease or deafness or blindness or maybe drunkenness or a jail cell or being left by a parent, being left by a mate. Whether it involved sin, your sin of speaking lies or because you actually stood for the truth or you followed orders or you kept a confidence and you name it, whatever the instigator was, you felt alone in it. And today, maybe just making it through one more day seems as impossible as climbing El Capitan solo. You don't think you have it in you. You may not think anybody here in this room understands. And I want you to say, that's just wrong because there is one person who understands. And it's probably not me. Jesus is here and he understands. He promised he would be. He promised He would be, that wherever two or three are gathered in His name, I'll be there. So He's here. Now I'm hoping that He's got some disciples here who can wrap their arms around you, who know Him well enough to help you understand we understand. I hope that we're learning to love Him and and mimic Him enough that that's true. But even if we can't, He's here. And I'm going to offer you that hope regardless of, of whether we can pull that off. He's here. And he understands. Whatever the weight you're being asked to bear, whatever the mountain of despair you're being asked to climb, whatever's daunting or chock full of forsakenness, Jesus knows that level well and for doing nothing wrong. And listen to me, he endured it. He was forsaken so you wouldn't have to be. You may think you're alone, but forsaken you're not. I was reading through Barbara Brown Taylor's book this week and she said, of this moment of forsakenness. Why this? Why this day? I wish I knew. All I know is that because of it. None of us ever have to feel what he felt again. Because he was all alone. We get to have his company. At our most hurt. Our most frightened. Our most forsaken by God. We have his, this companion. Who has been there. And will be there with us. Nothing we think, nothing we do, nothing we state can shock him here. Nothing we can say will make him turn away. If we say, where are you God? I'm all alone. Remember, he said it first. If all you can do is cry out, remember he cried first. So cry out. Because Jesus did. And what may sound like the end of faith really isn't. Instead, it's the beginning. Because Jesus died talking to his father who didn't talk back. Is there a better definition of faith? I can't think of one. When you talk to God and he doesn't talk back and you keep trusting anyway? Really? Who does that? His name is Jesus. Jesus knew it would come to this and that's why he asked God to remove it. He knew his father would have to abandon him because in that moment, for the only time in history, Jesus would become unholy so that you and I could become holy. Jesus would become forsaken so that you and I wouldn't have to be. Now, if you haven't yet, please, please consider making a trade with him. Your forsakenness for his welcome. Your sinfulness for his sinlessness. Please make every consideration of giving that a chance if you haven't yet so far. Now, I know a question ought to be asked. Is that really necessary for him to have gone through all that? (laughs) Do you really want to stand before him one day and say, I don't think it was. You know, Lord, I... I don't think the cross was necessary. Couldn't you have just asked us to be nicer to one another? I don't want to be standing next to you if you ask him that. But it's a good question still. And here's how I would answer it. Why would Jesus endure such misery? Why would Jesus endure such heartache? Why why not make just a a short appearance here on earth for just a moment, maybe a sinless week, uh, maybe a sinless year? Why put him through all the rejection and the misunderstanding and injustice and betrayal and pain? And I think the answer is because he wants you to trust him. We don't do that easily. Even this final act of sacrificial love is to win our trust. And you say, well, how so? One last illustration. If you find yourself in the midst of some financial struggles, I mean deep ones, that there's no way you see yourself getting out of, do you go looking for a billionaire to help you out? Now, we're talking about guidance here. I didn't say handout. Guidance. Do you go looking for someone who inherited their money? You go looking for someone who understands. You go looking for someone who's been there. Who can relate to how you feel. And that's why Jesus went through what he went through. Not just on a cross, but in this life for you and me. Because he can relate to how we feel. His death on a cross says that loudly. I think as much as his life. But if his life doesn't speak it clearly and loudly enough, look at the cross, please. He doesn't patronize us. He doesn't scoff at our needs. He understands because He lived exactly where we lived and yet without sin. No ropes. No safety harnesses. Just trusting His Father was right. And the benefit of all that is this, that whatever I've done, no matter who I've done it with or how long I've done it, I can come to Him bravely, anticipating mercy that I will be treated with undeserved kindness, And I will find help in my time of need. That's not my word. That's His. I don't have to make that up because God wrote it down for every one of us to see with our eyes this morning. And some of you desperately, desperately needed to be reminded of it. So here's the two takeaways. Two minutes and we're done. Please receive. His death for the death you deserved. Please. And the second one is this. Please start writing a better story with the author's help. A couple of weeks back, Daniel came back here and um, we baptized him in the Christ. We simply heard his confession that he believed that Jesus Christ really was the Son of God. And that that death on the cross brought something that he wanted in on. Forgiveness. And he was stressing that Christ did something there that we couldn't do, and that was to lead a sinless life. And so he offered us his sinlessness for our sin, and he took that, and so I, I asked him if he really believed that, and I placed him down in some water that, that symbolizes a grave, the grave that Jesus was placed in. And then I pulled him up out of that, and I said to him, buried in the lightness of his death, finish it with me, raised to walk, In a newness of life. You've seen us do this over and over. And when Daniel came up out of that water, his sins were left there. Mysteriously, yes, but but completely even more. And then he came up with this power. Not just more instructions. Not just better understanding of the instructions. But this power, this person, this help that Jesus got when he was baptized. And we need it because he's going to ask us. I know this is hard to hear, but he's going to ask you anyway. I need you to get on one of those 2 I'm going to need for you to give your life for other people so that they can have the life that I'm giving you. You need help for that. (laughs) You can't solo for that one. No way. And I don't want to. And so this morning, we're going to have a time of invitation. We're going to invite you to do just that. If you've never done that before, just come find me or one of our elders, and we'll be glad to help you with a trade. And if you're here this morning, and there was a time in your life when you committed to that cross, but you know what? You, you may have set it down and said, "Nah, not right now. And he's asking you to get back on it and say, you mean there's people that I need to forgive? There's people that I need to give grace to when they don't deserve it. Yeah. One reason. You didn't either. And that takes help. It takes the help of the Holy Spirit. It takes the help of a church. And we'll be glad to do all that we can to help you bear your cross. But right now, we're just going to ask Him, would you keep us near that? The grace that flows from it so that it can flow out of us while we're on our own. Let's stay in church. Let's praise Him.